god, hi. How's it going? How are you doing? Welcome back. Welcome to the 2000s Call, the podcast where I revisit iconic movies and music from the 2000s. This week we're revisiting Agent Cody Banks, which came out on March 14th of 2003, starring Hilary Duff and Frankie Muniz. Their budget was $28 million and it made $58.8 million at the box office. It's 102 minutes, and it has a score of 38% on Rotten Tomatoes, but it has 4.5 stars on Amazon, which is a lot, so people must really like it on Amazon. There's not a whole lot of interesting trivia available for this film on IMDb Trivia, so I'm going to go over some stuff that I found on Frankie Muniz and Angie Harmon. But we'll start with the few facts from IMDb Trivia. So Cody and Natalie attend William Donovan Preparatory School, and William Donovan was in charge of the U.S. Office of Strategic Services in World War II, and the OSS eventually became the CIA. So their school was essentially named after the origin of the CIA. <laughs> Uh, the scene where a girl asked Cody if he's special received heavy backlash, of course, from moviegoers because it was insensitive. And apparently there was an insert in the DVD release that apologized for the joke. So that's good that they apologized. That is very insensitive. This uh, Hilary Duff first heard of the film when Frankie guest starred on Lizzie McGuire in 2001. So I was wondering, we talked about Frankie, the last episode, because we talked about Hilary Duff's first album, Metamorphosis, and how they were dating the year before the album came out. So I was wondering if any of the love songs were about him, since it was around the same time. So I wonder exactly when they started dating, if they started dating during when they met after Lizzie McGuire, or if they started dating on the set of Agent Cody Banks, or what but it was around this same timeline so we're going to talk a little bit about frankie munez and what's been going on with him um so he's originally from woodridge new jersey his father is puerto rican and his mother is italian and irish he's most well known for of course playing malcolm and malcolm in the middle i fucking loved that show that show is so fucking funny still and in recent years, he starred in one of my favorite shows, AMC's Preacher, which was produced by Seth, Seth Rogen, and in HBO's Harley Quinn animated series, which is really good if you have not seen it. It's very funny. If you didn't know, Frankie Munez has suffered from nine concussions in his life. Starting from when he was a kid in a soccer tournament, he had a concussion then, and then I guess they've just really accumulated over the last, over the years. And because of this, he has suffered from 15, one five, mini strokes. And because of this, he does not remember filming Malcolm in the Middle and doesn't remember being nominated for an Emmy at all. Um, and he's he said that he does not view this as a bad thing, which, I mean, that's that's a pretty positive outlook. I'm sure that a lot of people would be really devastated having having had m memory loss like that, but he seems to have a really positive outlook on it. Um, I just thought that was really fucking crazy. Like, uh, he opened up about this when he was a guest on, a guest celebrity on Dancing with the Stars. Um, 
but yeah, I just thought that was pretty wild. And, but other than that, in recent years, he seems to be doing really well. He's married. He has a kid. They have an artisan olive oil shop in Arizona. So they're probably having fun with that. And we're moving on to Angie Harmon, who plays the like conventionally hot Asian that likes, that is, um, Cody's boss. So I was reading that she is from Highland Park, Texas, which if you're not from DFW, Highland Park is this super rich neighborhood in Dallas. It's essentially in Dallas proper, but they've created their own city. (laughs) So they don't pay taxes to Dallas. It's literally like northwest of downtown Dallas and they I've looked into this more to tell you guys about this because I wanted to know more about like how that came to be and how they got their own city even though Dallas is right there and apparently in 1913 Highland Park petitioned petitioned Dallas for annexation but was refused the 500 residents voted to incorporate on November 29th 20 sorry November 29th of 1913, and incorporation was granted in 1915. Dallas Culture Maps said that based on 2016 data, Highland Park, Texas sits as the ninth most wealthy communities or community in the country. Um, yeah, it's a very wealthy, rich, Republican, white neighborhood. And I hate them. (laughs) That's what I'm trying to say, essentially. On Wikipedia, it says in 2016, 64.7% of Highland Park voted for Trump. And in the 2020 election, 62.4%. So it's kind of overwhelmingly Republican. And I just think it's fucking wild that they are able to do this. It's it's very annoying. Every time I pass through there, I don't know if you're from somewhere else, do you have a city like this? Like why would why would they do this? Why why are there neighbor essentially a neighborhood that like turns it into its own city? I think it's really weird. Moving on to our astrology trivia. <laughs> Frankie Munez is a Sagittarius ox. I love that combo. And Hillary is a Libra rabbit. Love that combo. And Jojo, who we'll be talking about later, is a Sagittarius horse. Fun fact, someone in a previous episode was a Sagittarius horse, but I fucked up my recording because I was still learning to edit this shit, and it sounded like I said Sagittarius whore, but I um I, re- I re-recorded it. But yeah. All right, we're pretending it's 2003. We brought our little Furbies, our Tamagotchis to the movies, and we snuck in some Sprite remixes, and we're watching Agent Cody Banks. It's a crisp Seattle morning, and Cody's mom demands a cheek kiss, but ha! It's a sneak attack mouth kiss. Cody saves his barf until after he exits the house and skates off to shred pipes or whatever. As Cody surfs the cement, he looks up to see a fudging baby behind the wheel of a Chevy celebrity. Cody catches up to the car and grabs a hold of it as it swerves in and out of rush hour traffic. 
Cody majestically performs a triple axel off his board and cannonballs into the sunroof. He hypnotizes the child and puts that little shit to sleep. The baby releases its grip on the stick shift and Cody cranks that emergency brake. Cody acts as though this is a typical Tuesday, while the mother catches up to thank him and kiss his feet. And while she's at it, she plants one on his lips, a second mom kiss. Next, Natalie's dad is showing off his extremely dangerous nanotechnology to the one person you don't show that shit to. The villain, whose face screams that the only thing that gets him hard is being locked in a cage, steals a sample of this nanotech to pleasure himself with at home. Cody is summoned to CIA headquarters for his legendary panty-dropping abilities. He had bragged in his interview that he was crushing it in the lady department, so they call him on what turns out to be a bluff. They sick some conventionally hot chick on him to see his so-called skills. But this woman arrives at the most inappropriate place, the boys' locker room. There are oodles of sexist comments made, but the woman is unshakable. She turns and gazes upon Cody. Her eye contact is so intense and hot that Cody squeaks out a fart. He failed this test. Cody is still called upon to go undercover and essentially stalk Natalie in order to get dirt on her dad. He arrives at their hoity-toity school and is stopped by some heinous bully. The bully catches Cody's top-secret weapon, his wristwatch. The boy tosses it around like it is a fucking hacky sack and touches the self-destruct button. The kid is completely fucking obliterated by the watch, and blood splatters upon his friend's unblinking faces. Nobody fucks with Cody again. Cody approaches Natalie. She's a total babe, and he completely flubs up whatever he was trying to say. So Natalie calls him the R word, and I turn off the fucking movie and take a break. Next, Codes and Nat take their driver's ed class together. Their teacher is weird as fuck, yelling obscenities and telling them no one has ever passed his class and stuff like that. Cody boldly distracts the teacher and cuts some kind of important hard wiring in the car. This allows Cody to take off at 90 miles an hour. He speeds around the course, flipping the car on its side and driving it like some kind of evil Knievel stunt. Cody finally slams the car's brakes to see Natalie's adoring reaction, but she and the teacher projectile vomit all over the car's interior. Next, Cody goes undercover at Natalie's birthday party, and guess what? The villains have been invited, too. There's a villain with an exclamation mark as hair who has bet, yes, there's gambling at this 15-year-old's birthday party, that Cody has a tuna can chode dick. Cody absolutely ignites in rage and whips out all of his secret agent moves to pulverize the exclamation guy. He beats him until he begs for his life, and Cody concedes. But Cody has blown his fucking cover. Cody is fired from the CIA. They take his badge, his gun, and his Aston Martin. His colleagues feel sorry for him, since he's just a kid. They wonder if it was the steroids that made him hulk out like that. Natalie is kidnapped by exclamation mark. This is the early 2000s, so they're riding around on segways because they thought those would be the transportation of the future. They arrive at the villain's lair where the sexually deviant dude is saying weird things like, it's hard to find good sushi in the mountains, and is everything okay? Perfect. 
Cody tracks Nat with a necklace he gifted her for her B-Day and breaks into her torture chamber. Natalie makes a big stink and demands to know what the fuck is going on before she leaves the chamber. She'd stubbornly rather know how the fuck he found her than to just leave with him to safety. There is a chaotic scene of threats and knives at each other's throats. Natalie tells her dad she loves him even though he nearly got her killed, and they both grab an ice cube filled with nanobots and shove it down the over-the-top villain's throat. Cody and Nat get married eventually, and she becomes a secret agent too, and they live happily ever after. All right. <laughs> this week we're talking about JoJo's self-titled album released in June uh, on June 22nd, 2004. The album was preceded by her single Leave Get Out, which is a great jam if you haven't heard it. It's about realizing that her dude was cheating. I watched the video the other day and she looks so cute. She's got a really sporty red look with those iconic sneaker heels from the 2000s. The music video takes place in a school if you haven't seen it or you forgot. It's really cute. Very cute choreography. Um, also in the video, she has pictures of her and a dude. And I wonder if that is really him and she's just fucking putting his face out there and calling him out. Um, she released a re-recorded version of the JoJo album in 2018. And the original album will be available again on September 24th of this year. So I can recall searching for the original album a while back to listen to it for the nostalgia and wondering what happened and why the original wasn't available. And I know she was young when the album came out because everyone was so like surprised that she was so young and so talented and she had a soulful voice. So she was 14 when it came out. And I wondered if because she was so young, she probably didn't have a whole lot of control or ownership over the music she made. So um, it kind of sounds like she was taken advantage of and still is kind of being taken advantage of because I found this on a website called Cheat Sheet. So they said this was because her label, De Family Entertainment, refused to release anything new from JoJo. Like Swift, JoJo also did not own her masters. So like Taylor Swift, she didn't own her masters. She ended up re-recording her old music in 2018 and shared them on music streaming sites where her music had never been before. So, yeah, it sounds like she's had some trouble getting the rights to her own music, which fucking sucks. Um, I'm sure these producers are just being assholes by withholding her shit. Um, but the album is great. One of the first lyrics from the song, Baby It's You, is... Can somebody explain to me why everybody's trying to be living like a celebrity doing what they see on MTV? So it sounds like I know a lot of people say that, but I feel like even more people say that they're trying to, you know, resemble everyone else. I feel I feel like it's more common to fit in. So it sounds like even as a youngster, she had at least a little bit of originality and wanted to kind of separate herself from the industry and an industry as of cool as Lester Bangs said and almost famous. And yes, I know the same artists say things like that, but then they actively participate in the facade of the industry. But um, yeah. And by that, I mean, not being able to 
or just not say, staying true to who they are and kind of going with what sells over what kind of music they really want to make. That's what I mean. Anyway, JoJo seems like a cool person who was wronged by the industry, which makes me really sad. But I am really looking forward to the re-release of the original self-titled album. And I want to say the re-recording of this album is exquisite. Like, her voice has aged like fine wine. It it really does sound even better than it did when she was 14, which I didn't think was possible, stupidly. And if you haven't heard her voice or the whole album, it I wanted to give an example, I guess, of what she sounds like. It, it sounds... The album from when she was 14, that recording of it, she sounds like a young Tanashi or Tori Kelly. Um, looking into the creation and the credits of the album on Wikipedia, it doesn't look like she has any writing credits that I can see unless it's under another name other than JoJo. So the track list is as follows. Breezy, Baby It's You, Not That Kind of Girl, The Happy Song, Homeboy, City Lights, Leave, Get Out, Use My Shoulder, Never Say Goodbye, Weak, Keep On Keeping On, Sunshine, Yes or No, Fairy Tales. Yeah, it's a really good album if you haven't heard it or if you haven't listened to, a, to it in a while. I strongly encourage you to listen to the re-recorded album. It's very enjoyable. But yeah, I hope you have a great week. I'll see you next week. Um, you can find me on Twitter at 2000s called pod and instagram at the 2000s called pod all right take care guys bye